Okay. Welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Uh, with me today, as usual, is our friend and producer, Hugo Lindgren. Hugo, how's it going? I'm, I'm, I'm doing well, Bradley. I, I like you. You sort of so- started kind of soft today. You had like this little, like very like mellow. Yeah, I'm in a gentle mood, I guess. Maybe I'm, I'm, gentle I'm mood. anticipating <laughs> with glee the, uh, the holiday weekend. So given that this is a, a holiday week, uh, we're putting one episode up uh, on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, which is tomorrow. We're taping this on Tuesday. Um, that'll be it for this week. And then next week, we'll be back on the regular schedule. So uh, Hugo, how's it going? Good. Bradley, so I have a question, a Thanksgiving-related yeah. question. So um, you're just doing a normal turkey this year, right? Yeah, we're not doing the turducken. And you don't do, like, steak or, like, total, like, departure from uh, tradition? Um, no. I mean, you know, Abby's a vegetarian, so she's had um, tofurkey at various points. But, but the reality is all the sides are so good, and they're pretty much all vegetarian, that there's almost no need to make a vegetarian turkey. Yeah. She's, she's fine with all the other stuff. Do you have the tofurkey when she has that? I tried it yeah. uh, the year that we had it. It was it was fine. I mean, I actually, you know, she's been a vegetarian now for five years, six years. So, you know, I eat much, much more vegetarian than I used to. So I really yeah, enjoyed the food fine. at her bat mitzvah. It was like, it was, it, it was really nice vegetarian food. And it's funny, it was, it was just as delicious as like, I mean, the there, there weren't pigs in a blanket, unfortunately. because, well, right. It was also, it was a daytime party. So, like, it's not like you have meat every day at lunch. Right. Right. Uh, but the vegan wine was excellent. The, fantastic. <laughs> uh, but it was funny. Lyle's Bar Mitzvah is coming up in a few months. And I was picking out the food stations with him uh, the other day. And I think he, he picked as many meat-related options as possible, I think, right. in, in part to send yeah, a message. Right, exactly. His party. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about a bunch of things. Uh, this is going to be a little crazy potpourri of, a, of an episode, um, particularly because the first thing we're going to start with is something that you kind of came up with over the weekend. I, I guess you had a bad Sunday? Is no, that what happened? It, it wasn't even bad. That was the, you know, if it was a bad Sunday, I think that I would have said it's a bad Sunday. I think okay. The problem was... It was just mediocre like most Sundays. And, right. and, and so, you know, we were – it was a nice weekend overall. Uh, we were in the city. We were home on Sunday. And, you know, I was kind of doing the, the basic stuff. I, I write a, a memo every week for the team for, for Monday morning for work and walk the dog and run some errands. And I was reading a book. And um, Do you mostly do that memo like like – just on Sunday, so it's like you don't like put it together. Yeah, I try to just bang it out. So it's the, a pretty extensive thing. That's well, it used to be a lot more. So it used to be fifteen to twenty pages. It's now the part for me is three to five pages. So that 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 gets pretty. You a lot used faster. to do a fifteen-page memo every week to the staff. On here's here's the sad part. Right, you were CC'd on all of those and don't even know that. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. That's not true. I didn't see it at fifteen pages. There were there were some that clocked in at twenty. Really? Yeah. I read it. I read it. I didn't. You, you know, know what? It's so amazing. It's so it great. doesn't seem yeah, that long. Both points yeah. about our business. <laughs> um, anyway, so no, it was like a perfectly normal fine Sunday, and I was like, you know what? I just feel like on Sundays in general, it's kind of like this purgatory. I'm kind of waiting for the week to start. I've got kind of low level anxiety because of it. You know, I'm I'm, I'm resting. The resting's not really that much fun. And it just feels like, if you think about it, we get two days a week off. So that, that's a relatively low number compared to the number we work. And then of those two, if one is sort of a washout because you're just like, eh, it's Sunday, um, it, it's a really inefficient way to use your free time. So I started thinking about, like, how could you make Sundays structurally better, okay. right? So I, I made a list of ideas 
I don't think any of them are particularly great, but but we can go through them and, and I can get your reactions to them and vice versa. Well, I do. I, 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 did you make your own list? I didn't make my own list, although I'm curious. I have some questions about you shared with me uh, your list. But what, what do you, first of all, mean inefficient? Like what 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 would you like Sundays to be that they are I would aren't? like there to be a greater return on investment in the day. Okay. So like I would like the day to feel more carefree, more fun, more enjoyable less stressful right and in a weird way sundays are more stressful than call it like a monday or tuesday once i'm in it for work i'm in it and it's there may be a bad day but overall i'm I'm sort of fine right and saturday is fun because i'm just kind of enjoying the day um but sunday is sort of like it's kind of the worst of all worlds like i I just think you could have a day with a higher happiness quotient than than it currently produces okay so so you would okay so you're going to abolish Sundays. I'm not going to abolish Sundays. I'm going to I'm going to raise some different ideas to make okay, Sundays better. Some of them are, I think, fairly tangible and and achievable, and and some are kind of fanciful. But right. but let's talk about them. So the first one on my list was have two days off interspersed throughout the week rather than consecutively, with the thesis that you'll value them more and do more with them if you had like Wednesday and Saturday or Tuesday and Friday or whatever it is. Um, do you think that you would be able to make more of your weekend if you had it, you know, two days interspersed as opposed to two days in a row? Well, I mean, it would sort of kill the weekend house idea or make that a lot trickier, right? That's true. So you, if you, like, your house is a couple hours away, right? So it'd be pretty hard to get up there for one day. Yeah, although I would argue in the, in the, for the purpose of this exercise, right. um, I, I think that some of the traits that are named for Sunday are resonating with a lot of our listeners right now. So let's just let's just call this an American problem to make it simpler. Not a Bradley problem. 350 million people. Right. Of those 350 million people, are there some who have weekend homes? Um, a small number. That will then be disrupted by this? Yes, but it's a small number. So I think if you could solve the overall Sunday problem for the country or for okay. society, it would be worth the disruption to your, to your weekend homes. Okay. So, so that was number one. Number two was... Um, have work and school start at noon on Monday, so all the stuff that's not fun on Sundays gets pushed to Monday morning. Okay. I think that's a great idea just generally, like like a slower start to the week. I'm, I'm going to endorse that, and I think, I think you should um, – the question I have is like let's just say we decide we're going to do that, right? Yeah. Um, how could a company make that happen? Like, like how could you do a startup – that would that would change the like American kind of work week. Is there a way? Because the other way, which is like get Congress to do it, or get like you know maybe get a like a governor or a mayor to do so it. So how like, would you actually yeah. implement this thing? Yeah, um, it's a good question. I I think that maybe it would actually require leadership from like what if you know Google, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, and you know some other giant companies all said. Here's how we're going to do it going forward. Or how about this? So we're in the super tight labor market right now. Uh, everyone is sort of competing hard for employees. What if a new employee benefit became uh, on Mondays we don't start till noon or you don't have to start till noon? Um, if all of a sudden that became a meaningful hiring advantage, and you felt like, you know what? This person's going to get all the work done. Who cares what time they start on Monday? Um, then, you know, that might become a trend. So that, that was the second. The third was... Um, incorporate a daily siesta like they do in Spain and then hopefully we're less tired by Sundays and have more energy to enjoy the day. Um, I love napping, so for, for me... You do? I do. I oh, that's do. weird. I, I mean, you just, you seem like the least here's, nap... But here's... Right. Because... Right. Uh, 
it would not shock you that I don't sleep on regular schedules and, you know. Like truly not a regular schedule? I, I try to, but, you know, I, I get up early or, you know what happens? I'll have, I'll have two or three or four nights of actually pretty decent sleep. And then my body's like, okay, I'm good. It's like last night yeah, I taught. I didn't get home till 9.30, 10. I didn't go to bed till like 1, you know, got up at 5.30. So t- uh, today, you know, or it's like now there's the last night I got four and a half hours of sleep instead of seven. I've got a two and a half hour deficit, right? Right. So I do find that napping can help me make up those deficits. So, yeah, if, if I could nap every day from like three to five, like I would I would totally be into that. But you could, right? I mean, not not I could no because all, all I could I could if I were a lot less ambitious and if I took a lot of stuff off my schedule. Right. And there might be a random day where I could even under the current structure, but overall, I I couldn't take two hours out of my workday and, and still get everything done. That that hedge fund guy David Einhorn I don't know if he still does it, but he used to I think take a nap every day in the office. Yeah, like, I don't think it's a bad idea at all. Um, in fact, we went. You've been to Marfa, Texas. I've never been, but I, I, I want to go. So so we were there most, I've been there twice. We were there most recently, I guess, the Christmas before COVID. And I went to, so there's the Chinati Foundation, which is the big museum that Judd built. So it, it's an amazing, you've been to Dia Beacon? Uh, yes. So it, it's a little bit like that, but, but bigger right. um, because you're in the middle of the desert in West Texas. And so what he did was he, he there's a huge, like two airplane hangar si- size buildings of his work. Um, and then he gave, you know, space to friends of his, like a Dan Flavin or someone, and just said, like, hey, do your thing here. I'll give you unlimited space for it. So it was, you know, installation art more than anything right. else. And it was pretty remarkable. But what was cool was we did a tour of Judd's house separately, mm-hmm. and he liked to nap so much, he had a bed in every room. So, like, a he bed would, in every room. yeah, like all of his studios, everywhere he was working or like researching or whatever kind of it was, thing. yeah, he would just randomly nap. Now, why he couldn't just walk back to the other room, I, I don't know. Right. I guess he was really seized by exhaustion at that moment. Was but he like a narcolept? I mean, was he like a man who just basically didn't passed say that. out? I mean, look, this is a guy who clearly was a visionary who, who thought about the world differently than right. most people. Plus, he's an artist. You can have a, this complete... Yeah, his schedule wasn't exactly like, you know, you better be on the 2.30 meeting with Carl and the accounting team. You know, um, so that's number three. Number four, two interspersed days a week off, but it's an afternoon followed by a morning off each time. So the idea is it's less of a definitive break, um, but it's also easier to just kind of drop out because you're not really ever gone for so long that if you said, okay, I'm taking Thursday afternoon and Friday morning off, but I'm back at it Friday afternoon, I think in some ways it's almost easier to ignore your phone and your work and all that um, because you know that that same day You'll, you'll get back to it. So maybe that's just that's something that would work for me, but I think that's one. Um, the fifth would be become religious and observe the Sabbath kind of regardless of your religion and decide they've had it right all along. You know, one, one thing that my Orthodox Jewish friends will tell me that I, I think must be true because enough of them have said it is uh, to them the, the value of observing sh- uh, Shabbat is it is really restorative to have a day where they absolutely can't work, look at screens, kind of do anything other than go to synagogue and hang out with friends and family, that it really goes an incredibly long way uh, towards restoring them. Maybe they're right, you know. So may, 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 maybe this answer, this problem was figured out a very long time ago, and because we've moved towards such a secular agnostic society, 
um, we, we no longer sort of do it that way. I wonder if anyone does that in a secular way, like ha- actually has a day like for their family. People must, right? I think so. Um, I mean, that's what I was going to propose for your Sunday anyway, which is like, I mean, not necessarily, uh, you know, like ironclad rules or whatever. But what if what if you did like every Sunday you went to art galleries with your, you know, your, your wife and your family? Like, yeah, or something I think like more, that? more social. That, that'll get to num- number seven. Right, okay. So number six is, you know, people usually drink and do drugs on Friday and Saturday nights. What if instead you said no consumption over that time frame at all? And then Sunday, go crazy. Drink, do whatever you want to like <laughs> five. Let's assume we're not in the Monday starts at noon uh, world here. Right. You know, but like spend the day getting high, drinking whatever you want. And kind of by <laughs> definition, that will make the day more fun and less anxiety producing. And you would say, okay, but that's pretty irresponsible. But if you hadn't sort of, if, it's the, if your total consumption is the same, it was just moved from Friday night and Saturday night to Sunday. Um, and you use part of Saturday to get whatever you have to get done, then I think, you know, you could potentially get away with that on Sunday, and it might be a much more fun, uh, relaxing day. You have no well, – your obsessional hobby, such as it is, is, like, reading. Like, so you don't do any, like, extreme sports or, like, you're not, like, some master woodworker or, like, some kind of – I am excellent woodworker. Here. Are you? <laughs> no. Uh, no, I'm not a master woodworker. What's the last thing you fixed, like, actual broken thing that you fixed, like, in your house? Can you think of it? Oh, like a physical object? Yeah. Oh, man. I put together a table once. This was years ago now, and I was so, like, some kind of Ikea thing, and I was really proud of myself. Um, You put together an Ikea table, and you were proud of yourself. Very. Um, Were were other members of your family proud of you? No. No. I don't think anybody else really cared. Right. Um, The last thing that I fixed that was, like, a physical item, um, I don't. No, I don't have an answer. I will say that while I'm terrible at fixing things, I'm pretty good at cleaning up. You are? Yeah. So, like, I, I don't add any value whatsoever when it comes to, like, handiwork. Um, but, like, I'm pretty good at, like, you know, doing the dishes. And do you like it? Like, away. so if, like, you guys uh, you have know, a dinner party I, I or something, you just... I generally pretty severe OCD. So, right. like, I think that it plays into that. So I feel better when things are neat and ordered and all right. of that. Right. And also I find um, if you do have, like, a giant dinner party or whatever it is you know if i have like a good podcast on and i'm listening like i can kind of move through all that stuff and and it won't really bother me right. at all so let me give you the last idea here yeah, which go ahead. Is, sorry um just make sundays this was sort of your point make sundays more social um have activities to look forward to be with other people prepare and enjoy maybe we always either have people over for dinner on sunday night or we go to someone else's home and again these are things i think already exist in other cultures but but maybe just part of the low-level anxiety of Sundays is this sort of isolation. You know, you're, you're, you're with your family, um, but not really anyone else, and everyone's sort of uh, a little tired of each other. And in a way, if you're like, okay, you know, Hugo and Sarah and their kids are coming over Sunday night for dinner, it kind of reframes the day and then kind of ends it in a, in a fun way. I mean, I think that's a very good idea. I want I, I, I to throw in another thing, which is just like, what about like having like some kind of very strenuous activity early in the day? So if you get up on Sunday morning and you go right, like mountain climbing or like biking or something that like, and then you know you're done by like noon or and then you get home and you're like, well, I guess maybe people who play golf that's that's their experience also, right? Um, How good are you at golf? Um, I have never played regular golf, but I have played mini golf. 
You've never actually hit like at a, at a driving range or anything. Well, so Lyle recently started taking it up a little bit, so I took him to Chelsea Piers. And you did that, and I tried it with his golf club. I didn't even know how to hold the thing, let alone. Yeah, you know. it's a little trickier. I kind of swung it like a baseball bat, but on the ground. Um, did you? Like- I, I made contact, but but I didn't, you didn't really know what I was doing. <laughs> but you know, but I've done. By the way, now that I've done many golf, I've gotten a hole in one. That's impressive. Through the windmill. I wish I, I wish is, you could see Bradley's face than, as he said that because like he did actually look kind of proud of himself. Like yeah. he, he said it, it like he had a Don't, genuine look by the way, of accomplishment. I feel so regular golf is an Olympic sport. Right. right? Is that true? I didn't know it that. Is. But okay. Tennis is an Olympic sport. Right. Ping pong's an Olympic sport. But mini golf is not. But it should be. It ping, should be. Mini golf is to regular golf is ping pong is to tennis. And think about how much fun it would be if you had like all of the world's greatest golfers trying to like you know, get it, you know, through the little hole of the elephant and around the corner. They must have had, like, a pond. tournament, right, where real golfers have to play mini golf. That must have happened. You would think so. Like, what, what was it? They used to have like, Battle of the Network Stars yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you would, you would think that would be fun. I guess the real golfers maybe, though, are too proud to – because it's all downside, right? If, 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 if there's 18 holes of mini golf and they get an 18, it's like, well, you're supposed to. You're number seven in the world at golf. Right. If they shoot like a 33, it's like, oh, you're really not that good at golf after all. This reminds me. I have this idea for a sports league. I think you might like this, Bradley, where um, you, you have to draft your team and it's co-ed. And you don't know what sport you're going to play until the week of the event. There's like an intramural kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not intramural. You have actual professional athletes, but they'd have to. You know, it could be like a swim meet. It could be. So you're just saying, how do we get the best collection of athletes, right? And kind of people, yeah, who then could are work. versatile enough to kind of play, right? Play anything, or like they have like a color war or something like that. But then again, we're, we're getting back into Battle of the Network Stars territory. Here. No, it's well, I mean, it's it's totally that category. But like, I just think like, why did Battle of the Network Stars go away? It was excellent. Didn't think of what an impression it well, left on us. I'll, I'll give you one reason why. Why there's no more networks. Well, they still exist, and they don't. They I need mean, something sort to, of. But like, do, do your my kids don't even. If I said it's on CBS, no, I know they, they literally no wouldn't know what that is, right? I agree, but isn't that exactly the problem that they need to like address? Or they could have you know Netflix versus HBO, you know? Yeah, yeah. I I, ju- I just think that back then you had a society that was far more mon- monochromatic in the sense of like people came home, they watched TV, a, a, a really successful show would have thirty million viewers or something right. crazy like that. Um, and therefore, there was a lot more identification with, you know, the you know guy that played Willis on Different Strokes or Todd Bridges. Right? Now nobody or cares. Whatever. Yeah, now nobody cares because like everyone's got their own little world, and the stuff that I watch might be different than the stuff that you watch, and so on. So, so it's you true. know, I, it's true. I, I think it would be harder to pull off. I still think the idea of celebrities being forced to like play sports in some kind, like I don't know, it feels like it could work. Like, why don't they do it? But whatever. Um, we move on. Um, are you done with your your? Yeah, work I'm done with my restructuring. But but I I would encourage the listeners if you agree that Sunday feels a little bit like a missed opportunity, um, th- think of your ideas and, and send them to us uh, at firewall.media. Could be because you know we'd love to see if we can figure this thing out and and, and make life you know 17 percent better or whatever the number is. For I do think you need a private sector solution though, in keeping with your overall brand though, like it like the like like leaving this open to like government and and also no, like, it's it's government can't solve this problem. Right. Um, it's like a people thing. They just yeah, have to like, it's it's a social normative issue. Okay, all right. Um, so one of the other things we we're going to talk about, yeah, definitely do send us the recommendations though, because I feel like there, there's a there's interestingly Bradley had this idea completely independently of this 
uh, book review that was in the New Yorker about like some historian did like a history of the week or something or a history of the work week or um, and Jill Lepore did a did a, a fairly interesting um, review of it. She did say that apparently lots of revolutions like the Bolsheviks wanted to do a five day week. French Revolution was a 10 day week. Like it is something that comes up. It's like a it's like a little piece of a revolutionary right, a, kind of mindset. Sure, I mean you you can yeah, and and maybe that's the way to do it. But even then, the question would be if it's a ten day week and you're getting two days off or whatever it is, are you not still back in the same right. situation, kind of regardless? Right. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about the New York State governor's race, um, sure. which is. Um, I, it, it seems like totally, I don't know, wide open is the right word, but it's hard to see who the next governor yeah, I is. Don't, I don't think it's that wide open. So oh, really? just, just to give the listeners some sense of what the playing field looks like. So Kathy Hochul is currently the governor of New York. She took office when Cuomo resigned. Um, her term is, is through the end of 2022. Uh, she is running for uh, election. Um, so she right now is the favorite. There was a poll that came out, I think, yesterday. I forget who the poster was. Um, and she was at something like 30, low 30s. Tish James, who is the state attorney general, uh, in this poll, I think, was at like 22 or something like that. Um, she's running. Uh, Jamani Williams is the New York City public advocate. He's running. Bill de Blasio, as we know, is the mayor of New York City. It looks like he's running. Uh, and then on top of that, um, Tom Swazi, who is a congressman from... Long Island, who loves to run for stuff, uh, might be running as well. And you saw that Eric Adams like also, offered him the deputy mayor, maybe, or a deputy yeah. mayor. So it's so all right. But let's let's assume let's assume Swazi doesn't do that. Doesn't run for whatever reason. So we're, we've got Hochul, uh, James Williams, and De Blasio. Part of the problem is of those four candidates, three are from Brooklyn, and three all rely on a base of African American support from Brooklyn. And they so Hochul's got it in the bag. If that actually, if you know, there's a million things. But I would say right now, if the dynamic of the race stays the same, she has a huge advantage. Did you have you had any interactions with her? Like, that have any? Matter. No, I mean, because the lieutenant governor From is an irrelevancy right? in every state, right? Um, and your so, job was sort of lieutenant governor in Illinois. Well, it's, right? it's interesting. So I was the deputy governor, right. and I like substantively oversaw. The state's operations and budget, and legislation, and policy, and communications. We had a lieutenant governor. Oh, there was a lieutenant governor. Nice also? man named Pat Quinn. He eventually okay. did become governor when Blagojevich was impeached. Okay. Um, and I, I got along well with Pat, so I would meet with him every you know two weeks or something like that, and kind of get his ideas on stuff. Mm-hmm. But but there was no. The only responsibility lieutenant governor has is to become governor um, if the governor has to step down for it. Right. Right. So Kathy Hochul, uh, there was a, a long story about her in New York Magazine, which I found actually fairly interesting. Um, uh, she, she, however, is not interesting, um, and she seems to be just a uh, like kind of a career politician who just you know just ended up finally in the right place. Um, and they said uh, there was a couple of good um, a couple of good lines in here. Um, they said uh, they're betting she is so benign, bland, and unknown that she'll be unable to lever. Oh, these are the people running against her. They are betting that she is so benign, bland, and unknown that she'll be unable to leverage the power of incumbency to overcome her conspicuous disadvantages. Chief among them, her years of subservience to Cuomo and her base of voters upstate, which hasn't produced a governor in nearly a century. Yeah. So I mean, let, let's take those sort of one by one. So in terms of of her 
years of, of service to Cuomo. Um, I don't think it's a disqualifier because the voters are the ones who put Cuomo in office three times in the first place to be governor. Right. Um, so, like, everyone who voted for Cuomo shares the blame on that one. <laughs> so I, I don't think it's just her. Um, yeah, you, look, you never voted for Cuomo. I have. You did. In the governor? Yeah, I think I probably voted. I mean, I think I probably voted for governor all three times that he ran. I can't vote in the primary, but but I did vote in the general. So, um, yeah, 10, 14, 8. I, I don't know for a fact, but but my guess is I voted for him all three times. Okay. Um, and so I wouldn't hold that against Hochul. Um, being from Buffalo, yeah, obviously one of the reasons that most of the statewide elected officials these days come from either New York City or the surrounding suburbs is because that's where the people are, so that's, that's where the votes are. But, as we just said, if, if she has three major opponents and they're all from Brooklyn and they all have the same base, then in this case, kind of being the, the person from Buffalo could be an advantage, not a disadvantage. We're going to ask two minor little extra questions here. They're not okay. minor, but they're, they're add-ons maybe. You know, um, succession? No, I wasn't going to, but we get to that at the very end. Okay. Um, oh, I watched it last night in anticipation that you might ask about it. Oh, really? I haven't watched any of it yet, so I don't have specific questions. I'm happy to hear your take on it, but I, I like oh, to just, just wait and watch it all at once. Yeah, so I, first of all, I, was, I think the season's really good. We are going to talk about it right now. We're talking right now. Okay, let's um, your podcast. I liked it quite a bit. It's my <laughs> podcast. And I would say that um, last night I thought was good in the sense that they caught every character at their absolute lowest and worst, not just in terms of them doing things that are necessarily immoral, immoral and hideous, but just whatever their worst trait is, whether they are needy or annoying or insecure or whatever it was, they found the perfect kind of use case for every single main character just about um, to, to highlight that particular vulnerability that they have. And did you like that or think it was like sort of like, I don't know, I, there was this review that I didn't actually read, but someone told me about it because I haven't read any of the reviews either. But they said that it's almost like a sitcom where like they just – the characters just do the same thing, the same horrible, exhibit their same horrible traits every time. Just like a sitcom actor just comes out and, you know, it's like Kramer busting into the apartment like again and again and again. Um, that that basically it's not a dramatic series. It's just like... I mean, some, it's definitely, by the way, a funny series. It uh, is funny. Yeah, I think so. So for, for a you know, drama, it, it's a pretty funny show. Um, yeah, look, I think people are... You know, while occasionally people can surprise you and be unpredictable, people tend to fall into patterns pretty easily. Right. And so that's true of these characters, too, of whom, you know, they are generally, by design, supposed to be terrible people, but they're terrible in kind of consistent ways. Um, I actually have this one question that I want to go back to Governor for one second, yeah, which sure. probably shouldn't do because it would drive people crazy the skipping around. But um, what is, define it as closely as you can, de Blasio's plausible path to victory. And let me, so you write this column for the Daily News and you said, made a point that we've talked a little bit about. The one that ran today? Yeah. yeah. So we made a little bit of a point that, that we've, we've talked about this a few times on the podcast, the skills of, of uh, winning elections and sort of running a, a, a government are just totally different. Yeah. Um, and de Blasio is a perfect example because uh, despite what you may think of him as a as a mayor, he has won re-election or he won re-election once, but he he won. He's won first election place. a bunch of times, right? One way so another. so he's he he clearly knows something about how to win elections and 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 how to get there. Um, so how does he get there? If you're in the room with him, somebody's telling him, you know, I really think so we can win this. Let's just just to stipulate, I'm the last person that, yeah, that he would ask he's not to be calling. in the room. Well, but maybe because you're such an uh, unorthodox choice and his, no, his the odds I, are so I, long. I was thinking this way. So the headline of the Daily News piece today 
uh, was don't count Bill de Blasio out. And I, I bet for a second, you know, he or his team over was like, oh, my God, did this guy say something nice about us? Yeah. And then it was fucking brutal. It was. It was mean. It, 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 it remained... Um, um, I but, remain in a, now, a, a foe. So put that how, aside. Put that aside. You're in the room he, with him. They're like, how? They're, I was about to say Howard, but they're not calling Howard either. But um, they have you in the room. Bradley, tell us how, how in the world do we win you this? You know, he, he's got So when he won in 2013, he, he understood a few things that I think were impressive. One is he picked two issues, stop and frisk and housing, that um, – among the small group of people who are going to vote in the mayoral Democratic primary in 2013, those are really important issues. He got he got the zeitgeist and the issues um, right, and he was also able to frame himself as a person who had sort of genuine life experience on those particular issues, especially most famously the, the ad that his son Dante did uh, about stop and frisk and, and fear of the police and things like that. So, you know, the, the talent that de Blasio has maybe is to identify the zeitgeist and kind of mold himself to it, right? So um, the election is still not going to be till Universal Pre-K was a big one too, no? It, it, it was probably, his, it's his only accomplishment that I'm aware of. And I think, by the way, I think it's a meaningful accomplishment. Um, I don't believe that people actually vote on education. It's one of these issues where it, it polls really well all the time because everyone thinks they're supposed to care about education. Mm-hmm. Um, but when people actually go into the voting booth, like I think the number of people who actually make the electoral decision based on education policy is, is very low. Okay. Um, so he needs to find one or two of those issues right now that, are, that, that have some resonance statewide and that don't just depend on Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he's got to be able to just in the same way that he was able to connect with a lot of city primary voters in 2013. One of the things that he did that was really clever, I thought, was, you know, the, the, his whole kind of campaign against the 1%, and in a way, he did it before Sanders did it, um, it is the people who hate the 1% the most, in my experience, are not the people in the 90th percentile. It's the people like in the 13th percentile. Like, they're the ones who really fucking hate the 1% because... They feel like they're close enough that it, it could have been them and it wasn't. And then some people are sort of uh, honest and self-aware enough to say it's not me because I wasn't capable enough to do this or I wasn't willing to put the sacrifice into that. But it's a lot easier to say, like, the system is corrupt and rigged against me. And, you know, because I didn't go to Princeton, because I didn't get in because my neighbor went there and so his kid got in through legacy missions or whatever it is. That's why I'm not as successful as I'd like to be. Um, that tends to be a very angry group of people and of voters, especially. Um, and by kind of running this campaign kind of against the one percent, um, de Blasio in many ways, I think, captured their anger. Uh, and it was a really smart populist move. Um, and he was able to kind of leverage uh, all of their votes. He did a lot better in places like Upper West Side or places where people are living in the city but feeling a lot of financial pressure to do to do so, even if they do make objectively a nice living, um, and I think he captured that. So I mm-hmm. think he's going to have to again find both the zeitgeist on the issues, and find those kind of emotional wedge issues as well, where people who normally would not consider Bill De Blasio are like, "Oh, this guy speaks to me." Interesting. And and do you have any sense of what that issue could be? Like, I mean, reading the Hochul profile, she definitely doesn't seem to have that gift at all. Um, so no, I mean so. Look, the the issue that obviously right you know swung the mayor's race here was was crime. Right. Right. Uh, the problem for De Blasio is he doesn't have real credibility uh, around that issue. So 
you know, I, I don't know. And maybe it sort of shifts back to economic um, inequality again. And that, that's where he has it. Um, maybe, look, we didn't know, you know, and if it turns out that in like February of 2020, if the general election were held that day, Trump probably wins, right? Because right. he couldn't have fucked up COVID worse, couldn't have handled it worse, and still didn't lose by very much in a lot of these states. So things do change rapidly. And let's say, I mean, he's not going to have the opportunity to kind of prove anything in office because he's out of office in like five weeks or something like that. But let's say there's some mega snowstorm this year on December 26th and, and his <laughs> team does an amazing job clearing it or whatever it is. You know, but that's that's, that's going to catapult him. Nah, it's not going to be enough. Yeah, yeah. I, think um, so. I I think it will be very tough. But if you're him on the flip side, why not run? Like he literally, what else is he going to do? Like I don't know anyone in the private sector who would hire him because I don't think he has any skills whatsoever. Um, well, I just saw you know his his uh, his uh, human resources guy uh, just just left and got hired by Paul Weiss. So uh, you know, like a guy who all he does is sue the city for not taking care of the homeless. Um, I mean, if that guy can find a job. Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah, but that guy probably uh, Steve Banks, I think, is who you're talking about. Uh, he probably like wakes up at a normal hour and comes to the office and does his <laughs> job and all that stuff. Like for De Blasio, like what would be his his best case? Sort of he'd have to kind of cobble together like teaching adjunct somewhere. You know, I think he went to NYU, so maybe NYU or something like that. Um, you know, maybe he's lucky and Fox brings him on as the left wing punching bag. And a couple of unions throw him some small consulting contracts. Oh, uh, I, I can't you really, really think it'd be that grim. I think that's the ups. That's the the Gold's case standard for him. That's the upside. Oh, I think geez. it gets worse than that. So you might. Why don't as well we hire him on firewall? Just to, just like, to come on and fight with me. Yeah, exactly. Here's the problem. He's so unlikable and unpleasant and hectoring and self righteous and everything else that like. Yeah. Plus, he would like show up an hour late. Like it would be. <laughs> even if it thought sound like it'd be fun, it wouldn't be fun. It'd be terrible. All right. Okay. Um, two last questions. You ready? Yeah. Um, lightning round. Two strikes of lightning. Should Biden boycott the Olympics in China? I don't think it matters. Uh, I, I don't think anyone cares about the Olympics anymore. Like the, the Summer Olympics this past year, and may, I know it was a weird off-year pandemic type situation, but it felt like it came and went, and I'm not sure that more than two or three times over the course of the three Olympics that I hear anybody talking about it at all. So I think... Olympic fever, by and large, is gone, and the Winter Olympics is so much less interesting than the Summer Olympics. Um, so then he, I think you're making an argument that he should. If no one cares and he can just give well, the middle finger to here, China, here's, right? Except here's who do care. One, you got to feel bad for these athletes that have trained their entire life for this right. moment, and then you're taking it away from them. You still hear about you know, U.S. athletes who in 1980 had to boycott the, uh, the Summer Olympics because of Russia, and like you know, they're still upset about it. So one is really, really unfair to these athletes. Two, NBC or whoever the sponsor, you know, there are a, there's some big TV network and a bunch of other sponsors and people like that who have you know real economic issues engaged here. And so I I actually think it's the opposite. If people really cared about the Olympics and you, and you pulled us out to make a statement, then I think that could potentially resonate. Um, but, you know, this might be like a tree falling in the forest thing. Well, except it would, I mean, let's not talk about it anymore because I, 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 I accept your, your argument, but I, I think that the, the reason to boycott it is to upset the Chinese, um, and the Chinese will care, for sure. And, and that will then change their behavior? No, no, well, that's the question, right? Is, is, it, is it, no, I'm sure, I'm sure it won't. Right. Um, but, uh, 
but still the point would be to be like, hey, guess what? We're not coming to your party. Yeah, they would just win more medals. <laughs> um, all right, you ready? I'm going to do – I am going to. I guess that's kind of a sports question. Not really. But this is an actual sports Ooh, question. Yeah. It's, it's not an interesting one. It's not that great. But um, – I mean, Way to get the listeners excited I about know, this. I know, I know. Well, I just – This question is going to be really I, boring I, and suck. No, it's not, I mean, it's not that bad. But yeah, um, are, are you um, – <laughs> just at the last thing, we have a really boring question. Um, are you happy with the new Mets general manager? No. Um, he was the general manager of the Los Angeles – Brian Cash and protege. Yeah, but the, he Hepler. was the GM of the Angels for the last five years. So a big market team with lots of resources, free spending owner, never made the playoffs, right? Right. Uh, now, look, before that, he worked for Cashman. Cashman obviously has had a successful career uh, overall, even if not in recent years. Um, and so... Well, talk about a guy who gets the, you know, I mean, they've spent more than anybody and they what they were in the World Series, like, last in, you know, 2009 or won the World Series last yeah, year. I mean, I know it warms my heart to think that they haven't been <laughs> in it this decade at all. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, look, sometimes people just, when they get to the right situation, it clicks. Like, Joe Torre was not that successful of a manager until he came to the Yankees and then he became one of the greatest managers in history. So You know why that is, right? According to Bill James. So the Bill James, that, that very interesting study of baseball managers, you know, they don't really make a difference. The one thing that does kind of make a difference mm-hmm. is the personality difference between, like, the managers, like when the old one and the new one. Mm-hmm. So you had um, Buck Showalter was the Yankees manager. He was yep. a real pain in the ass, like, you know, made the, like, the veteran guys, like, right. take bunting practice. I think he'll practice. be the next Mets manager, by the way. Oh, really? Good chance. Oh, wow. He's supposed to be such a nightmare of a, like, micromanager. And then Joe Torre comes in and everyone's like, oh, thank God. Like, right, here's nice a guy, guy who, like, doesn't make us take bunting practice. Yeah, but it, it worked. So, you know, look, Mike Billy Epler, is he a smart person? I'm sure he is. Will he have a lot of resources with Steve Cohen's money? He will. Um, but, you know, the, the Mets are just a, a rolling comedy of errors. And I was really hoping and thinking that when the Wilpons left, you know, that kind of legacy would go with them and, and so far it's, it's stayed around that's it for uh this episode bradley you got um i was going to say if you have anything else you want to talk about but you already you, we already we already got to succession so we don't have to end with that yeah yeah i mean books or whatever but i think basically we're, we're in pretty good shape here so um happy thanksgiving to all our loyal firewall listeners all of you we really appreciate it hope you have a, a great time with your friends or family whoever you Spend it with. Um, think about how to make Sundays uh, a more productive, fun day, and love your thoughts on that. And we'll be back next Tuesday. See you guys.